Welcome to Fright Night Minute, a daily podcast where we discuss the original 1985 horror movie, Fright Night, one minute at a time. I'm Robin. And I'm Leonard. And we want to welcome David back from Rock and Roll High School Minute. Hi, everybody. And uh, we're here for Minute 17 of Fright Nights. It begins with Charlie ruining another pair of pants, and it ends with a What? So we have Jerry and Billy looking around. We you notice Billy looks in one direction, and much like the vampire bat that Jerry is, uh, he scans back and forth and then zeroes his eyes right in on the bush that Charlie's in. And I'm sure he's sensing some warm blood pumping in that bush. And some fear, I'm sure. I mean, Charlie <laughs> is like in full panic mode at this point, so yeah. A slight urine smell. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> this is um this is really our first good out in the open clear look at Jerry and his yeah. glorious outfit. Yeah, I, my note for this is that he sort of looks like a French new wave director in, instead of a vampire. <laughs> He's got like a a long long gray duster, leather duster, a uh, long red scarf obscuring the neck, you know, like a, a beret and he set, right? Yeah, so, yeah. but uh, it it is sort of a 80sization of the, you know, very Count Dracula-ish looking vampire thing, I think. So, yeah. He looks good. For sure. Uh, yeah, it's interesting how the vampire has that red scarf, like, tight around his neck. You know, it does drape down nicely in front of him, but it is, like, a tight... I, I, I was never into scarves. They always bothered me being around my neck, so... <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comics. Um, I don't know if you guys have read that or not, but the the character Mina is, is from, the, um, from the Bram Stoker... Uh, and she um, sort of lives her life as if she's not a vampire, but it becomes clear at some point. Spoilers, sorry. This comic's uh, 15 years old. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, anyway. you think Mina she, Harker or something would be yeah, going yeah, yeah. on with she, her she, there. Yeah, she she wears a long red scarf like that that sort of you know has its own life, much like a sort of a superhero cape that sort of like drifts behind her and, and things like that. And it you know it becomes revealed later. You know she's got she's hiding her bite marks, but but yeah, it's sort of reminiscent of of that in my mind. Anyway, it's. This is the moment, David, that you signed up for. Do you want to wax poetic about that apple throw? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, as Jerry's looking around with the apple in his hand, it's clearly like a, a quarter bitten apple, right? But when he throws it, yes. uh, it lands right in front of uh, Charlie or, you know, where we imagine Charlie to be. And it's got a ginormous bite taken out of it. So it's almost like a like a crescent, like a deep crescent moon sort of thing um and it you know it even has like skinny sharp bite uh marks in it and yeah i mean that was that was very confusing to me as a child because you know you you look at that and you're kind of interpreting what that means and what that sort of makes you feel about the vampires i mean this is a you know it's a, a clear projection of him having these giant jaws right like he's got the capability to to bite through whatever he wants it's dangerous right but it's also 
sort of a uh, in a way it's sort of a a sexual prowess uh sort of thing for him you know he's got the very uh the Mick Jagger uh Gene Simmons sort of you know <laughs> big mouth lots of teeth big tongue kind uh, of like and I know what to do with it kind of thing so like it's that one little image of the giant bite taken out of the apple is saying a lot about the type of vampire that they want to portray here and it's it's a subtle thing to toss it over in front of Charlie and be like uh, you're not hiding. I know where you are. Right. I'm going to make this land right in front of you. I guess and, I'll go um, pick this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and he even gives, you know, right at that moment, Billy starts to sort of move forward. Like, I have to take care of this. And Jerry puts his hand out and, mm-hmm. and stops him. And, you know, like, I think maybe that projects a little bit more into their migratory backstory. Like, you know, they've clearly just gotten into town. Who knows how many towns they've done this in before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're they're on day like three in yeah. this town, maybe. So let's not kill the kid in front of his mother <laughs> before we've even finished painting the windows black, right? So, it's a little bit of a chess move, too, right? A little bit like a chess move. It's sort of, all right, you know, that's my turn. And now you're yeah. next, Charlie. Yeah. See what you'll do next. Yeah, well, and it's an intimidation move, right? Like, yeah. it's it's very much like, see what I could do to you if I if I wanted to. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's it. I don't want to call it a throwaway shot because it's not, but, like, it's a, it's a, oh, yeah, a small... It is literally a throwaway shot. Well, <laughs> boom-boom. <laughs> It, it takes a small moment and says a lot to me about how this um, relationship is going to progress with with Charlie and and um, and Jerry. So, yeah, I think the whole movie has little moments. We're only 15, 16 minutes in 17. and I was 17 minutes in and I was saying that before it's pretty well paced out. Great screenplay. There's so many little moments like that apple that give you amazing uh, character information without exposition yeah yeah you know it's not a tell me sort of story at all i mean it, i don't know where this was in tom's tom holland's uh screenwriting this was like his third or fourth movie that he'd written maybe right uh, but his first directing you know and it, it everyone in in the in the cast when they were interviewed they sort of said you know i, I looked at this read the script talked to tom about his ideas for the script and and i was in you know that the strength of of his script is what did it so this is definitely a moment that was conceived and he was able to execute it on you know it, it wasn't just something they stumbled on through shooting like oh this might look cool let's try this you know it's right. it shows sort of the strength of of what tom was able to to accomplish in his in his career i mean he does some does some good work that guy, so. <laughs> i worry about jerry's health man he swallowed those apple seeds oh he, really get a bellyache right yeah okay so here's where i have to intervene and just say this scene is really where it proves that jerry is really a monster he eats right through an apple core and that is just it's just wrong um however okay so i did some research on how wrong this is uh james hamblin health writer for the atlantic actually says we are eating apples wrong he says throwing away an apple core he wastes 30 percent of the apple the seeds they do uh, contain is it's called am- amygdalin. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Which, if you chew up the seeds really finely in your mouth, it uh, releases a tiny amount of cyanide. So, in order to actually give yourself a lethal dose of cyanide, you'd have to chew up 18 apples worth of seeds really finely in your mouth. Uh, I'll tell you, I knew this information already, and I'll tell you why I know it. Uh, there was an episode of the GI Joe cartoon. <laughs> Where they're battling a giant, uh, like, blob-style monster. Oh, yeah. And they, they figure out that the way to kill it is to direct it at an apple orchard, and it will consume the apple orchard, and there'll be enough 
there'll be enough poison in there to to kill it. And it turns out G.I. Joe was right. Knowing he's half the battle, yeah, right? Yeah, true, exactly. <laughs> there's also a he says there's a there's a thin fibrous band uh, around the core, but it's not noticeable if you eat an apple from top to bottom, which uh, is another concept that is completely foreign to me. I did watch the minute in slow motion and Jerry is eating it correctly uh, <laughs> holding the uh, the stems in his fingers and, and chewing it around the side and yeah like you said it is it is about like a quarter quarter of the way eaten before it is thrown and then when when it cuts we get this kind of 80% eaten apple rolling along along the grass when when it does roll to a stop you you know you you fixate on the on the giant bite taken out of it but you know, when you watch a movie a minute at a time like we do, yeah. uh, you notice that it's like it's kind of browned already on the inside. And if he had just <laughs> taken his first bite of that less than 30 seconds ago, your apple would not be that brown. This is like the type of brown that you get from having to take that shot seven or eight times trying to get the apple to roll in exactly the right place. Either so. that or there's so much cyanide built up in his mouth that it just like oh, naturally browns right. the apple. It's it's a it's a Jerry problem, not a, not a continuity problem. You're right. Yeah. Do you think that we should do a bonus episode, the three of us, uh, and all try to eat an apple through its core like that? Oh, man. I, I think not. No, I'm, I'm too scared of that. Um. You heard you heard him. Cyanide. <laughs> also, the the fibrous band. Ugh. It's not it's not noticeable if you eat from the top. Come on. Uh, yeah, but that's just the I wrong promise. way to eat an apple. Yeah, and... Have you ever had anyone try to convince you to eat a banana or peel a banana from the bottom? Oh, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, they're like, oh, you're doing it wrong if you peel it from the stem part. It, you got to peel it from the bottom. It's so much easier. No, it's not. You're wrong, fruit people. No. <laughs> I agree. And it's still the whole point. I, I had this argument with somebody at work uh, a few days ago. The whole point is, I guess, you know, when you peel a banana, you always get those strings, you know, the gross little strings hanging on a banana. If you do it from the bottom, you won't get them. That's bullshit. <laughs> I, thought, I thought there was more. Banana strings are just part of life. You just got to live with it. Yeah. Well, Frugivores, email us at FrightNightMinute at gmail.com with all your complaints. Just don't leave it in our iTunes reviews, okay? Five stars across the board for us because... I loved all the fruit talk. <laughs> yeah. Five stars. <laughs> And, and it's interesting, this apple shot, again, I don't want to like lean on it too much, but I remember it being a single shot. It's not. It's cut. It, he throws it. It's cut. And then you see the apple fly by the camera, and then the camera kind of tries to find it, as, and then it rolls to a stop. And uh, one of those Icons of Fright commentaries I mentioned I listened to, uh, they said that it took so many times to get that, sh- that shot done, I guess, right, to make to it land it correctly. Right, to get it to land bite side up and in the right spot, probably, you know, like where the focus is set. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure that's true. Uh, so, okay, so Charlie runs and pushes his mom into the house. I love that he just bolts out of this bush when Jerry starts walking towards it. I mean, I, I sort of read this in, in a couple of ways. Like, A, like, obviously he's scared shitless, right? So he's going to run to the only safe space nearby, which is his mother, right? Mm-hmm. But it also felt to me like he was trying to protect his mother. Yeah. You know, like like his intention is like, you know, he knows he's boned and he's, you know, sort of accepted that consequence. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But when he sees his mother come out, he standing there sort of uh, unprotected in her pink bathrobe. He, he bolts towards her to scoop her inside, and, you know, because he knows what's up. She has no idea the danger that's out there. You know, the, that's a vampire out there. So yeah. well, we know it because we've seen this movie, but Judy doesn't know that. So And like you said, like Billy, Billy advances and Jerry puts the hand up. 
I like this because Billy knows that he can just walk right into that house and take out the entire family, whoever's in there, and to make you know his master safe. Um, Jerry can't really do that without the invitation. And it's it's sort of a move, like I said, you know, he's got other plans. He's got, um, you know, he's he's not worried about Charlie. He can take care of Charlie at, at any time that he wants to, other than the, you know, going into the house thing. So right, or, or doing it during the daytime, I guess. But so Charlie's mom makes some cocoa. She mentions that the microwave didn't melt the marshmallows right, and I'm I'm just like, I'm just like what what are you talking about? Like I don't I don't understand. You warm yep. the water up, you put the packet in after it's warmed up in the microwave, and then you pop the marshmallows in, and that's how they kind of melt because of the hot water. You know, I'm I'm going to forgive all that talk that you just had because we're talking about 1985 here where you're talking about microwaving water and putting a packet in. But, like, come on, it's it's 2019. If you're not making stovetop hot cocoa with artisanal cocoa and, <laughs> and you know, and, uh, and, and fresh from the cane sugar – with whole milk in a pan on your stove, you're doing it wrong. So, I mean, if I was microwaving marshmallows, I would not expect them to be melted correctly either. But uh, yeah, I'd expect them to be I, exploded. <laughs> yeah, probably they'd be big and puffy. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, the trick with the peeps or whatever. I have a I have a note specifically about the way Charlie says cocoa. <laughs> like what? Where? I understand he's frustrated and flustered, but like that's not how that that gets said. It's just. It's strange. I don't need hot cocoa. <laughs> there are okay, certain right. ways he no. says things uh, that make me go, "Where?" I'm actually now looking up just to find out where he's from. But <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna guess Pittsburgh because everyone in Pittsburgh says stuff weird. I love Pittsburgh, but you say stuff weird, guys. Arizona. Huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Son baked his brain. <laughs> uh, anybody notice how much nervous blinking he's doing in this throughout this whole scene? Oh no. It's uh, true. I see it. Yeah. It's unsettling. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> One of my notes uh, about this scene in particular, or this part of the scene where they're sitting around the table and he's wearing his brown members-only jacket there or whatever, is my initial note was that he sort of looks like a poor man's John Cusack here. <laughs> you know, he looks a lot like that sort of Lane Meyer, Hoops McCann character from Better Off Dead or One Crazy Summer. But um, when I looked that up, th- this actually is first. I think he came out the same year as Better Off Dead, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, and, then, and then One Crazy Summer was uh, a year or two after that. So... They really must have been tapping into something in the zeitgeist to like cast those guys who have sort of a similar look and and put them in very similar outfits and, yeah. and give them a little bit of demeanor that's that's very similar. So you know maybe John Cusack is a poor man's William Ragsdale. That's, <laughs> right. You know. But I, but there's a lot of those guys. Zach Galligan and Gremlins has a yeah guy yeah yeah right. Time. I mean, maybe that's the the boy next door look that you're going for, right? When you're literally <laughs> casting the boy next door in this movie, so. <laughs> So, okay, so she gives him hot cocoa because she thinks he had a nightmare. Um, she also checks for fever, and he screams, Mom, I'm not sick! And it, and it is funny. Every once in a while, he does kind of get into Tashi Station mode when he's protesting his case. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> when, what, what is the other thing she accuses him of? Like, how late were you up studying or something like <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah. I don't really get the sense that Charlie's a great student, you know, like that he would no. be up so late studying, he would make himself sick or delusional. So I, yeah, <laughs> that's that's not a concern for me. Maybe that is for his mom, but not not for me. Like, what kind of nightmare or what kind of fever would cause him to just kind of have a psychotic break and just go running in the backyard and and hiding in a bush? <laughs> like, here's some hot cocoa. That'll that'll solve that. <laughs> yeah, too many Peter Vincent uh, shows. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like my dad. Every time, every time I'd feel like sick or anything, he'd first thing he'd be like, "Oops, you know, go to the bathroom." 
Go see if you got you got something in the tank. Like, all right, <laughs> something in there that's affecting you. <laughs> what have you been eating? That's what <laughs> yeah. I always got. Yeah. So Charlie I says, just got "Okay, baking. You're going to school. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to school. Yeah." <laughs> so Charlie says that Jerry had wings and a bat flew over his head, and a second later he stepped out of the shadows. You know what that means? And I love Dorothy Fielding's reaction, <laughs> which is just like, "Wait, let me guess." <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. It's clear she doesn't know how guessing works because she says, wait, let me guess. And then she does not guess. She just immediately asks what he means. So it's uh, she would be a terrible Jeopardy contestant. So, you know. I am wondering if this is something that Dorothy Fielding brought to the part because in the script, she just lo- it says uh, Judy looks worried and says what? So I think this little humorous thing might have been uh, something they came up with on, on the on the day of the shoot. Yeah, sure. And she's she is pretty funny in this. I mean, yeah. she doesn't uh, doesn't have a ton of screen time, but when she's on screen, she's always got something funny. You know, that, that when they come down the steps and and uh, she surprises them after their you know rendezvous in the bedroom and and the, the the yodeling Charlie and then this bit, it's all it's all pretty funny. So, um, and so uh, he says he's a vampire, and she says a what? And we get a cut to Amy who says a what? And the minute ends. <laughs> I think right here, when when his mom says a what, I think that is the act one break right there. I mean, because that's where we have set it up that Charlie's figuring this out. And uh, and then immediately after that, he's taking action, you know, Mm -hmm. so like we move into act two right away after this, I think so. Uh, David, you want to let our listeners know uh, where they can find you? Sure. In the future, you know, like way in the future, because I'm slow and, and podcasting is hard, you guys. Um, it really uh, is. You can find, <laughs> you can find me at uh, Rock and Roll High School Minute, and that's Rock and Roll High School Minute uh, dot com. That'll be your your central landing page for all your Rock and Roll High School Minute needs. There'll be, uh, you know, podcasts and stuff to listen to. Probably social content. I don't know. Ooh. We'll get to it eventually. Yeah, I'm not sure how much we're gonna be doing in the social ways here but uh we're we're at least going to be trying to keep twitter going and you know let people email us so yeah um email us at frightnightminute at gmail.com uh, follow us at frightnightmin and of course you know all, all you fruit heads you cocoa heads uh leave us your reviews on itunes or whatever you get our podcasts um five stars or just you know don't don't even bother um <laughs> and until uh next time i'm robin i'm leonard i'm dave and thanks for listening have a fright night everyone <laughs> he's a vampire a what <laughs> <laughs> you're